Hello and welcome to Spiral Out Podcast. I'm your host, Chris West. So you're currently listening to a stunning rendition of Morton Sabotnik's Sidewinder. This performance was recorded at Tool Studio in Hollywood, California, and was released on April 23rd in celebration of Zabotnik's 90th birthday. On the show today, we have Peter Grenader. He's joining us to discuss the performance and the incredible legacy of Morton Zabotnik. Uh, Zabotnik was not only a composer, but also a pioneer in the field of electronic music. Those who have listened to the show before know Peter as uh, Danny Carey's synth tech. But he, he also is more than that. He's a very talented uh, musician and technician himself. Throughout the show, uh, in, the back, in the background of the interview, I will be playing uh, Peter and Friends' rendition of Sidewinder. And if you would like to hear both versions, Peter's Sidewinder and Morton's Sidewinder, just hit the link in the description. There was also a, a video, a live performance, um, filmed at Tool Studio. There's a link in the description for that as well, uh, along with lots of pictures and links to other cool things as well. So thank you, Peter, for being on the show. Thank you, listeners, and enjoy. Happy birthday, Morton Sabotnik. Alrighty. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to Spiral Out Podcast. Oh, I sound uh, good. Yeah. Hey, hey, hear that? The big, the big uh, vocal <laughs> box, <Yeah. clears throat> the resonation. How come you didn't do more radio? Many people say that, and I always tell them, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're here today talking to Peter Grenader, right? I said that right again? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have a new project coming out. Yes. Um, for Mort- Morton Sabotnik. That's it. Two points. Nice. Um, who is one of the originators of the the big synthesizers? No, kind yeah, of. Kind of. He is uh, Morton Sabotnik. Um, for those who don't know about him, look him up. Um, he is considered one of the premier composed American composers of the 20th century. He cut his teeth. Well, he started as a clarinetist with symphony level, you know, professional symphony level, orchestra level clarinetist, which is, you know, no small feat. And uh, he he made a name for himself globally as a composer of electronic music. So he's one of the forefathers of electronic music after it went to the age of synthesizers. So before synthesizers, he was doing... He was doing all the craziness. He, yeah, he he, what, what they used to do before synthesizers is guys used to make friends with people that worked in radio stations. Sure. And when the radio station was closed for the evening, they go in the lab and use their oscillators and filters. And mm-hmm. interesting, um, there's a thing called an envelope generator which shapes sound. Okay. I showed you what the low-pass gate I did yep, yep. does, and you use usually an envelope generator to do that automation. Okay, gotcha. And there's four phases. Well, let's say uh, for easy, there's two phases: attack and how long you want that attack to be, how long it fades in, and decay. 
Okay. Back before the synthesizer days, when you wanted that long attack or long decay, you would have to cut it with magnetic tape or do it manually. Ugh. I, yeah. I, mean, I, I don't understand the science of how, but it seems tedious. <laughs> it's very tedious. Um, well, look, when computer music started, when I was in the 70s, when I got into synthesizers, the digital music was there, but you couldn't hear it in real time. You were literally coding and then execute the program and you'd hear what you just did. Talk about tedium. Yeah. Yeah. So you and four other gentlemen. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> no. Uh, it's my yodeling pickle. Okay. <laughs> uh, three gentlemen, one lady. Okay, so you three. Jill, Jill, Jill Frazier, Shiro Fujioka, Thomas Klepper, and, and myself. All got together because Morton at Sabotnik is turning 90 years old, and you're putting together this piece of music all done on uh, electronically. Yeah, let me. So, uh, Mort was one of the first composers to be signed to a major label specifically to do electronic music. It was Nonsuch, which, along with uh, Deutsche Grammophon, was probably the two, and Angel, maybe Columbia Masterworks, were the four big classical labels in the world. There's, there's people that actually listen to this. Some of them are going to be rolling their eyes at what I just said, but. Um, and he was commissioned by a radio, by a record company to do these pieces. The first one was very, uh, you know, I, the first one was okay. It was back in the day of experimentation, so everyone was transfixed by the novelty of electronic music instruments, not so much. So you get away with a lot, or you can get away with something that's undercomposed in a traditional sense. But as time progressed, I suppose this happened, the same thing when a saxophone was invented, people got tired of the novelty, and it's sure. like, oh, show me the beef, right? So uh, his first piece was called Silver Apples of the Moon, and many people, that's the only one they've listened to, and they love it, but it's, you know. It's just okay, okay to you. Yeah. Uh, then it was followed by Wild Bull. Then things started to get real interesting. Um, did a piece called Touch, and this is while he was still in New York at NYU. But uh, I explained, or I went into last weekend, the relationship between Morton Sabotnik and the instrument maker, Donald Buchla. Yes. Okay. So uh, if anyone's ever heard of Wendy Carlos, who uh, to this day, I believe, still has the best-selling classical album of all time, Switched on Bach. Okay. She's a friend of mine, by the way. Uh, recluse is recluse. Wonderful lady, though. Um, she was signed by... What label was it? Columbia, maybe? To uh, do uh, realizations of box music, uh, starting off mostly with the uh, uh, Clavier, well-tempered Clavier two-part pieces uh, on a Moog synthesizer, and she became... I mean, it was a sensation. People go crazy, right? Mm -hmm. And um, she was very, very important to Moog synthesizers because of that. He sold a shit pot of them, including Brian Wilson, including Mick Jagger, including the, the Beatles. They had a Moog on Abbey Road, which was one of the early uses of synthesizer in rock music. Okay. 
then there's that famous Lucky Man solo by Keith Emerson and Emerson Lake and Palmer. Well, Sabotnik became Don Buchla's Wendy Carlos. Don Buchla was the manufacturer of the synthesizer he used to use, still does actually. Um, but the difference is, you know, a Moog is a what comes up, what come, may come down uh, kind of musical instrument. A Buchla is a what goes up, may go sideways kind of instrument. It's very esoteric. It doesn't even have a black and white keyboard. It has a touch plates that you can use to trigger events or change the pitch of something. You can assign that to any parameter, but pitch along with it. But it's not in black and white like a piano keyboard. They're linear. Yeah. His Doesn't have ethos a... was you want a clarinet, hire a fucking clarinet player. I'm yeah. Not, you know, you, yeah, you can make the sound of a clarinet on this thing, but why should you? So uh, it forced a whole different... Um, pathos uh, uh, music was different that was made through it and arguably some would say it's not even music okay <laughs> so uh, i mean I'm, uh, what you're what you're explaining to me kind of sounds like the difference between somebody playing a guitar and somebody playing uh, a chaos pad almost yeah yeah it, uh, so his first three works were done on bukla's first system which was called a bukla 100 and then during that time, he was developing the second generation, the Buchla 200. And that's Sidewinder, which is the piece that we're doing live, or we did live, is the first piece of music ever recorded with a Buchla 200. And that was the one that was supposed to go to CalArts. The CalArts building wasn't done yet, so it got delivered to Mort's home. And he was very slow and coughing it up after the school was finished. I but bet. <laughs> yeah, but that uh, uh, was the reason I went to Cal I see the long about answer is uh, I got involved with electronic music in high school. I was fortunate to go to a school that had a very brilliant music teacher who had a course on that. And he started off, you know, playing Six Wives of Henry VIII, you know, Rick Wakeman and Yes and Emerson Lincoln Palmer, synthesizer music that was easy to digest, of course, Wendy Carls. And then one day he dropped a needle on Sobotnik and my fucking head exploded. And while he was playing this record to the class, they passed the cover around and I saw a picture of the 200 and I was like, oh, I want to have that. And then uh, I read that he was at the California Institute of the Arts and by serendipitously i was i applied right in the nick of time and i was uh i was uh, accepted that was that was it so when was the first time you met him i didn't meet him he well he had the greatest arrangement in the world at calarch he was only there calarch is in a three-term system three semesters which sounds really weird the hard part is you have a midterm or a final like every six weeks, it's a pain in the ass. It's a very hard education. It's not an easy school for music anyway. Uh, so he was only there the last term. I So I met him in the uh, spring of my first year. Did you maintain uh, a relationship? Yeah, yeah we're still friends now. In fact, I just sent him a birthday wish. Nice. Yeah. And what does that relationship look like for a guy? I mean, what, was it been 30 years? No, longer than that. 
40 um, years, 50 years. By the way, just for reference, that's a Buchla 200. And you can imagine yeah. how wild I am. That thing is cool looking, right? Yeah. And it's massive. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Um, no, I graduated in 78. <laughs> it's been a long motherfucking time. I'm old, dude. Yeah. So what, let's say what, 76 then you met him? 70. 76. So it was, uh, what is that, 40, 52 years? Yeah, you know the man's 52 years. Or something and like that. Have you done any, what has he done since, like? Well, so he's done a lot of stuff uh, continually. He's never, he recently announced he retired. He announced this about 15 years ago, and I talked to him the day after. And he goes, I didn't mean it. Can I take it back? I'm like, dude, it's in the LA Times. <laughs> okay, yes, you can take it back. I'll tell you that if it makes you feel better. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? He can, he yeah. can make whatever music you want. But he went on to a brilliant career. He went from um, non-such to Columbia Masterworks. Um, he went to another subset of Columbia Records after that. Um, I mean, I'll show you some of his work when we're done. I mean, he recently did a an opera called Jacob's Room, which brought his second boy. I went to junior high school with his son. I didn't even know it. His first son, Stephen. Um, and uh, it had a stage with a performance on it that was hydraulic and MIDI controlled. Gotcha. So he could move it at angles. And I, the first project I did with him at CalArts was something not as cool as that, but it was a multimedia piece that was pretty friggin' cool that I was asked to write music for, which was... I mean, how scary is that writing music for Mort to use incidental music for him to use in an NEA commission? That was a big friggin' deal. Uh, the NEA being National Endowments of the Arts. I mean, it's very hard to get one of those grants. The government gives you money sure. to write a piece of music. I mean, it's, it's, it seems abstract. It, and it's a, lot of, uh, it's a lot of red tape and a lot of politics to get approved. So then I'm going to ask my uh, original question that I asked. Um, you know, other than... You know, his album Blowing Your Mind and then you going to CalArts specifically to work with him and use the, uh, the, that, well, Bukla. Um, what, what was so alluring about the sound? And, and well, it, it, no, the sounds were, were not pretty. Um, there was, Tamberly, as far as the basic sound, there's basically nothing that the Buchla could do that the Moog couldn't, but the Buchla was able to control sound in a way that Moog never even saw. And by control, you mean all aspects of the sound? Yeah. For instance, the Moog is a mono instrument. The Buchla's fucking quad, okay? It was designed for four speakers. So you can sit in the middle and have a sound spin around all spe four speakers, and you can control that spin completely. Yeah. Well, just, I mean, that's, you know, so the thing about Mort's music is it's, um, how do you put it? I mean, his second album is called Wild Bull, and that encapsulates his energy. It's always bravado, and mm -hmm. he's just a master of it. He's... He's like a testament to intelligent sound. And, uh, yeah. So, anyway, he turned 90. And um, 
So you got together with these uh, three wife, individuals his, and his one wife, lady. His wife called me. Interesting. I was standing there when he met his wife. She was a, she was a kind of a celebrity in new music. Also, her name's Joan LaBarbera. She has a very unique sin, uh, singing style. There was a big music happening at CalArts of Gathering, and there were some very famous composers there, uh, Milton Babbitt, Vladimir Yukachevsky, John Cage. I mean, you don't even know the genre. you probably heard of John Cage. Nope. Okay, John Cage is uh, also on the list of top 10 composers of the 20th century, and he lived in Woodstock. He was old and getting frail at the time, and Joan lived in New York City, and she came out, kind of escorted him. Gotcha. And they were, uh, it was so surreal. It's, you know that painting of George Washington crossing the Potomac? It was yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. one of those moments. At the time, I said, you'll never forget this. <laughs> it was Sabotnik with Yukachevsky and, and Milton Babb, and then walking into the foyer of the music school was Joan and John Cage. I was like, whoa. Sounds right? like a Mount Rushmore of... Exactly. Good good analog. And uh, I saw the way Joan and Mort looked at each other. And How old was he at the time? He was 45, yeah. 46. And he, uh, she didn't go back with with, uh, <laughs> with John. She stayed here. Well, so anyway. She, good for Zabotnik? <laughs> yeah. Oh, she was, well, she still is lovely, but she was hot when she was, she was like, the, this means nothing to young people. Uh I don't know. Taylor Swift, is she considered good looking? I mean, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I don't I think mean, so. She, I mean, uh, my reference would be Grace Slick. She was like the Grace Slick of. of yeah, I don't get that reference either. Music. I'm somewhere in the middle. Okay. <laughs> um, but she contacted me to tell me there was this party in Brooklyn. It's this Sunday. You're welcome to come. She kind of had an idea. I wasn't going to fly across country for this. Um, but she says, we're accepting works or recorded messages to play at this thing. I said, are you giving me, you know, are you telling me to do this? And she goes, yeah. And I was like, I was all on this. I had been wanting to do a live version of Sidewinder for like six years. Jill Frazier and I, who we worked together a lot. Matter of fact, Jill's daughter took one of the puppies that I just fostered. Um, gotcha. There's a irrelevant detail that no one context no one needed to have but um <clears throat> she uh and i got you were on it so what i did is i it's a 40 minute piece i'm not gonna make people torture people for that long um and, and this party let's call it has a eight minute video limit they let yeah, me yeah. go to eight minutes and 30 seconds well my, our piece is about i boiled it down to about 17 minutes Sidewinder is a part two, part two, part one, part two thing because this is written for records and you have side one and side two. Sure. Okay, and in this this piece is very symmetrical, meaning side one and side two are almost the same content, but they're done differently. They both have the same intro movement. They both have the same B section. They both have the same code at the end, but they just approach that differently. This is a classical Mort thing, okay? And um, we're just doing we're doing a sub edit of part one only that's going to be presented this party. And then Monday, excuse me, same day, Sunday, it's hitting the internet. Um, the whole thing, the whole seventeen minutes. So I'm hoping by the time you uh, 
get that out online, we can we can put the link. Yeah. So that people can listen to exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And not only that, we'll have. Um, I'll I'll post pictures of the the synth and it, all the stuff we talk about. Uh, hopefully, I'll find pictures of him and his wife. I can show you some pictures of when we did it. So here comes my tool connection. Um, Danny Carey's a huge Sabotnik sure. freak. And I mean, when Danny, you know, has, I think he has most respect in the world of musical instruments and second respect to musicians and third respect level as docs, okay? And um, so he has immense respect for what Mort was doing and he owns a Bukla 200. <laughs> So here's the deal. Daddy and I are really close. I have two synthesizers in my studio right now. That he has a big API recording console of 2488. It was actually owned by Rick Smith. Yeah. James, Rick James. Sorry. Rick James, yeah. for a super freak was yeah. done on that. He would probably let me take that out of the studio, but the booklet doesn't leave. Gotcha. That's the only one. It's like if there was a string attached, that's it. So. We elected to do the recording of the four players in that studio. Uh, I got Tim to move that massive leather couch out. Took three people, I think it's heavy, and it opened up this big area and it, and it fit perfectly. We had an empty pit in the middle for the guy with the camera to go in and get ECUs. So what uh, what synth did you use during the um, recording? I used my Eurorack module, the one you saw me on. Mm -hmm. um, that's the same one that it, you know, I used to manufacture Plan B and sure. now Ear Goods. And basically that's why Danny Carey approached me. It's a little bit over 10 years ago now to do the toolbox synth that they use live. Matter of fact, coming up this March, oh shit, March happened. Yeah, March. Is I don't know what. <laughs> Maybe March or May, it was an M month. They went to Australia 10 years ago, and that was the first time the toolbox hit the stage. Gotcha. So um, I need to text Danny about that because he loves that nostalgia. He loves <laughs> it. Yeah. So we did it in his room, and um, we did live, but, you know, we did multiple takes, and we have a guy editing it together. It's not yeah. a, everyone thinks it's a live stream. It's not. It's going to be much more polished than that. Yeah, yeah. Um, with so when you record um when you're recording this what do you what do you record into we recorded through that beautiful multi-channel api board on the pro tools and then another parallel to that was the camera you're the first guest that's been on the show twice that's cool <laughs> um which i appreciate the and for those that don't know uh, peter just touched on it he he built Danny Carey's original toolbox synthesizer uh, over 10 years ago that, that he's been using on stage since. Right. And w without giving too much away, you're, you're continuously building new sounds for for him. Yeah. Uh, for different live shows and whatnot that yeah. have happened or may happen. And you've also... Well, I can't talk about may happen, but yeah. I know the answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but... You, you've also done um, a significant amount of work to be able, uh, on their last album, Fear Inoculum, to be able to receive a gold record. Yeah. Can that you? was very cool. I did, um, 
It was a pretty good day. I was I was filmed for a documentary one morning here in my home, and I was going to take the guys out to lunch. And I get a call from Justin Chancellor, who, I mean, he calls every once in a while. And he's extraordinarily funny. It's always three in the morning. He's working on music. Hey, mate, what do you think of this? And he lets me. He holds his phone up to speakers, you know, shit like that. And he says, "Can you come into the studio today?" And yeah, sure. What time? Now. Mm-hmm. So they were recording Chocolate Chip Trip, mm-hmm. and I—that was basically my patch. Sure. So I had to get it ginned up and. That was a really fun day. I didn't get home till late. Dakota, I brought the dogs in. Um, there's the A&M Studio D, which is holy ground. Uh, that's where Carol King did Tapestry. That's where the Rolling Stones did Give Me Shelter. Gotcha. I mean, it's just like, what? Yeah. A&M is at the old uh, Chaplin Studios. And there's a, like, walking into where the studios are. It's either film studios on one side or recording studios on another. There's a sidewalk, and it was like Bar, uh, Grumman's Chinese Theater with the handprints yeah, yeah, and the yeah. feet, but it's Charlie Chaplin, and Dakota lifted his leg on that. that was <laughs> and peed cool. on it? <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, if those of you who don't know, that's my one of my dogs. I'll, I'll, I'll post pictures of the dogs, too. <laughs> so the big track you worked on was Chocolate Chip Trip, like yeah. they used in all your patches. He yeah, and it. I mentioned this in the first podcast, but yeah. it's worth repeating. Everyone thinks it's a mythical name uh context behind that name sorry disappoints very shallow but funny uh, it's not a type of lsd it's nothing about chips implanted in people a&m records used to supply a big bowl of chocolate chip cookies and leave them in the control room and that's all everyone was eating and we were basically all getting sugar high okay so that's chocolate chip trip gotcha yeah um so so again you built the the, or worked on that album specifically and that track specifically, and then every time he does it live, he's using your patches and yeah, and he's constant. I wouldn't say constantly, but whenever he does need you, he calls you and you tweak things and work on it and yeah. uh, build yeah. more patches and, and yeah. for that work, they gave you a gold, like an official gold. Record. Yeah, and there's a great story. But one, Danny Carey is the greatest guy in the world. He never, if he says he's going to do something, even if it becomes a difficult, he'll make sure he does it because he said he was going to do it. He's never disappointed me. He's never let me down. He's, when he, I, okay, so I showed up working with him in 2011. They were rehearsing new music for Fear Inoculum already. By four days a week, noon to four, in that studio that we recorded this piece, it was unrelenting unless you know someone was on vacation or they were on tour or someone had a cold they were meeting every tuesday through thursday i mean monday through thursday and you just went to the seagull men concert yeah yeah when that record was recorded i don't know how long ago was that the right? seagull men yeah uh, i don't know four know. years yeah i was invited to the, the listening party sure and danny and justin was there and Justin just looked at me and he said, we're going to the studio on Monday, mate. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. You're finally, I mean, it, I, no one thought this yeah, <laughs> were yeah. gonna happen. And at last, next time I was with Danny, I said, uh, maybe before that, I said, Danny, listen, if you need, cause I know he puts electronic in, you know, 
Yeah. Um, Samples and little... Or just... Yeah. Whatever. Just a little... They have little intermission music between their pieces on all the most of their albums. Yeah, yeah. I said, you know, if you want anything, if I can be of assistance, I kind of planted the seed. Yeah, yeah, Well, he remembered that. So when they recorded, he remembered that. And then it was about six or seven months after it was released. COVID hadn't started yet. And he mentioned... Oh, first thing he mentioned before the record came on, he said, by the way, you're on the thank yous. I was like, really? You know, yeah, first thing I thought about was all my ex-girlfriends. <laughs> One of them, I, which I know is a tool fanatic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You're like, suck on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, so that happened. And uh, then he mentioned that, oh, and, and Adam said to me, you don't know how many people we took off that list. And he, yeah, yeah. He buried his foot in the ground. Said Grenada staying on. Yeah, that was just that's phenomenal. Anyway, well, I mean, uh, you, you, it's hard to think about. In my opinion, uh, you know, there's four people in that band, right? They they're composing the music and anything. If I had to think of anybody else, there's only a handful of people that I think seriously contributed to any of the other songs. Uh, other than the four members, it's like Henry Rollins did something in Undertow, yeah. and you know you got some samples here and there. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else. That there's acted. another electronic piece that another guy worked on that. Yeah, there's. The, I actually wish I gotten that one, but you know I'll take what I can get. On, but, yeah. There's there's like the message to Harry Manbeck where they use some dude's uh, uh, answering machine call, and then it's kind of just you there. I mean, there's not many people yeah. that. Yeah, that are you can pick out where we're like, I know it wasn't just them. Yeah, yeah. And so. something that was frustrating is the tour after that, Daddy's like, okay, we got to get a new patch going. So I made some, got some new modules in there, and we really blew apart the capabilities of that machine. And I'm like, fuck, it, it would have been so much better on the record. <laughs> But you know, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. Because you pretty much, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but you pretty much rebuilt the, the thing for... Well, I rebuilt it like a year ago. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, and I quadrupled the capabilities. At the time, that that record was recorded, and he was doing Chocolate Chip Trip with that synth for five years before that. He was capable of about three voices at once, three yeah. separate sounds. After the... After that, we got it up to about five, six. Now you can do 12 individual voices at once. Yeah. But it means that every show will be completely different. Yeah, Not completely different. I mean, it's the same form, but, yeah. but he's got a lot of options. And when you're watching him do this on stage, do you know exactly what yes. he's doing? So, because I don't think a lot of people do. I mean, I have some idea he's taking a sound and he's manipulating it and it's creating a piece, of, it's creating a time signature. Yeah. And then he's adding to that time signature and then he yeah. sits down and does drum solo over it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you know, you built the sounds that he's putting yeah. in. Yeah. And I always, he always, there's always nuance in it. It's never a carbon copy. Yeah. And you got to hand it to him. Because, I mean, they tour a lot, dude, and it's got to yeah. be tedious, but he always, you know, and he said it was so funny when he did the ta Staples Center about three years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's more than that. I don't know. Uh, it was 2020. 
he said, uh, oh, I was so nervous because I knew you were out in the audience. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. It seems wild to see to feel like that guy's nervous. He didn't seem nervous last night. Um, uh, and you're, I went to that Prime show uh, last night, and you're you're pretty close to the most of the people that played there. It seems like. Oh, uh, I've never met the Primus guys. But uh, uh, Tim Dawson. Oh yeah, uh, Dawson's brother. J- Jimmy Hayward, yeah. Danny Carey. Yeah. Uh, those are all good, like good friends. Your goofballs. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And the only reason I want to touch on that is because they're, you know, the whole it was a benefit for him. Yeah, he's uh, frighteningly intelligent. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, when he enters the room, you know the smartest man in the room is just entered, and he's very witty and very funny, and he thinks in a thousand miles an hour. He did. Did you ever see that commercial um, for the pedal with Justin as the yeah, elf? Yeah, the yeah, he did song. that. Yeah, yeah. He also did Free Bird. He also did <laughs> Cyrus Rex, yeah. Jonas Rex, uh, uh, Jonah Hex, Jonah Hex. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, no, Jimmy. I mean, he's done a ton. Uh, yeah. Uh, I've looked up his IMDb. Oh, the film videos. companies are like, here's a $70 million. Yeah. Make a movie about a doorknob. We trust you. you know? <laughs> yeah. But uh, he's done music videos and yeah. all that madness. But uh, it was a fun show last night. Very soon, if not just this recording and this video of Mort's about Nick Sidewinder is going up. And it's also, at the same time, the audio only... It's going to be available on Bandcamp. Um, yeah, it was a real labor of love. I've wanted to do this for fucking years. I did the uh, score. What I did is I... First, I got the piece, which is 40 minutes long, and wheedled, needled it down to about 16, 17 minutes. And then I kind of delved what he did out to four parts, knowing... Each individual can be responsible for X and number of sounds. Let's make it easy on everyone so they can go from section to section and change sounds, and it's not going to give them a aneurysm. And uh, so, how many sounds is, is each person in? Uh, most of them are doing seven. I stuck one guy with eight. Gotcha. And the way it kind of worked is that you saw the synthesizer looks like a bale of spaghetti hey. with all those cables. That was all one patch. And yeah. I had other patches that I had done that I sampled, and I had a sampling module in there, so I was just pressing them. Um, it's impossible to um, do, you, do everything real time. Do you get the music beforehand? Are you, like, taking out, like, the written version of his uh, uh, piece of music? You mean the score? Yeah, the There's score. There's no score. Oh, okay. I made a score. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. it's not tonally based. I mean, yeah, yeah. every sound has a pitch, but this is not what he's about so gotcha. uh it's much more sound sculpture than yeah so you have to like sit there and kind of like almost like you're looking at a uh a sculpt like you said a sculpture and yeah. you're trying to mold it uh, i would think more I, would, I think a better analog is an abstract painting yeah um but yes i and, and we you're like, I need some red over here a yeah, little yeah. bit. I need a little bit of blue on this and, corner and, over here. And we had, I had a general rule. We either very closely mimicked his sounds. Sure. Or we were more interpretive. If we mimicked the sounds, we would take a section, his section, and we'd move it into our own direction. We would change the way he did things. Mm-hmm. If we used interpretive sounds, we kind of mimicked exactly the progression he did. So sure. his gestalt. So that kind of gave it some underpinning rules okay i hear you 
anyway, so that's going to be up on, it's going to go up on the stroke of midnight on Sunday, on the 23rd of April, And, then it, and it's going to be uh, played at his birthday. At his birthday, same. Um, now, do you have any um, desire to continue working with these people? Well, I've worked with Jill. We did a record together, which you can link to, called the Zizek Society. Yeah. Um, six years ago, it was a really fucking good record. But the thing is, it's, you know, you have to have an ear for experimental electronic music, mm-hmm. right? Um, I mean... I put it, the whole thing down for 25 years. I was shocked when I got back into it that it hadn't become popular. After the explosion and acceptance of world music and sure. NPR and all that shit. And the problem is, is that electronic music disappeared into academia, and those guys fuck up anything that's good. Okay? <laughs> You're saying nerds? Yeah, and, and <laughs> uh, it just didn't catch hold but Sidewire particularly is very meditative sure so I think like yoga people would like it the thing is Mort's want to touch upon one thing that we talked about I forgot to finish what's he done lately he's become like the grandfather of electronica he actually tours he stopped now I mean he's sure, sure. 90 yeah, okay yeah, yeah. and he does a live thing and the, 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 the room is full of 20, uh, it's Gen Z's. I mean, yeah. and they're fucking loving it. So, and he doesn't understand it, but he doesn't question it either. You know, yeah. I mean, that's his legacy. He probably feels good about it, you know? Yeah, I mean, why, why would you? Yeah. You, you, people are coming to hear your music, whether or not you understand why. I mean, yeah. there's your other connection to Tool. Maybe on some level, they don't understand why they're selling out arenas, you know? Yeah. Uh, maybe they do, but... <laughs> it's because they're into witchcraft. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> it's all the sacred geometry. Um, so, yeah, this Sunday, uh, again, now, are you going to be doing anything else afterwards? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, um, I work with Jill separately. Then I work with Shiro Fujioka in another ensemble live electronic ensemble we did a short tour about four years ago and played a place in berkeley called tom's place it's pretty famous some huge artists have performed there well it's in a guy's living room it's in their house but it's quaint and intimate and it's got a name so we have gotten an invitation to do sidewinder live in the fall i don't know if thomas Klepper will be involved, but definitely Shiro and Jill and I. And we'll make it an hour-long set, so we'll do some other stuff, too. Nice. Yeah. And that that's going to be in the fall sometime. Yeah. And uh, do you ever consider getting these people together to do multiple shows? Yeah, no. It's so much fucking work. Why do one? It's stupid. So we're... I'm talking to this other club up there. I put some feelers out. The problem with electronic music, it's all intertwined with academia. So it's like, well, where do you have tenure? It's like, you know, fuck you, dude. I mean, listen, CalArts has a theater downtown in the Disney Hall. You know where that is. Called Red Cat, the Roy and the Disney Red CalArts Theater, Red Cat. And we, when I was asked to do a show there, in 2007, they didn't even promote us. I was so pissed off. At the time, print was still kind of alive, and they wouldn't run an ad for this event in LA Weekly. I'm, I was like, what are you doing? Well, we sold the place out. Sure. 
and they want, they added 10 rows and we sold it out. And then they were coming to me the day of the performance saying, we're still getting calls, you wanna do a second show. Well, they turned out, they, we said, okay. And oh, and they said, you can keep all the money from sure. the second show. Well, they elected not to do it because there was another show the next day and they would have to break down and set up. Anyway, that was kind of my, their comeuppance, right? Sure. We, they didn't even support this because we weren't anyone, but we sold the friggin' thing out. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's going to be so much work. I'm going to try to land us some more gigs up there. I feel like it's also hard to do live gigs with these because the instruments are so gigantic. It's a pain in the ass, but you, and I bring the dogs with me, so... Yeah. It's like Motel 6 because, you know, they allow dogs. Uh, it's so funny, uh, Chris. Uh, you know, every Motel 6 hotel room looks the same. Yeah. So they think it's a safe place. It's like, oh, yeah, oh we're, at, we're at home. Okay. <laughs> they jump up in the bed and they're fine. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, I'm going to post pictures with the episode of your dogs, if you don't yeah. mind. And about to get a third dog. Yeah. Taking a rescue. If anyone wants a beautiful border collie, I'm going to have them by the end of the day. Any other final, final news? Any other? Th uh, Should I do it? Yes, do the pickle. <laughs> you got to take a picture of this. Now. I will. I will. I have to. Peter, you've been uh, a good friend to me literally since the day we, we started talking. I can't appreciate, uh, or I can't appreciate, but I won't. No, <laughs> I, can't, I can't thank you enough for continuing to come on the podcast and continuing to show me uh, cool stuff and uh, just be involved. All right. I appreciate that. Me, uh, consider it back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And again, look for Peter on uh, Facebook, and then he's going to be releasing the Morton and Sabotnik Sidewinder. Yeah, go to um, the Peter Grenader channel which I'm sure you all follow anyway, just kidding, on YouTube. That's where the video is going to be posted. Uh, there's a couple of media sites that are going to present that. Listen, the, the trail is blowing up. We got yeah. like 1,300 hits. I mean, that's, you know, there's some artists that got 1,300 hits that jump up a building. I am elated with that yeah, sort yeah. of penetration. So, uh, and also on Bandcamp, uh, there'll be links, I guess, in the podcast. Yeah, there will be. Um, the, my biggest episode was a April Fool's episode that didn't have the real guests. So if you can get 1,300 views with just with actual content, congratulations. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you had Maynard-ish. Ish. Yeah. <laughs> I had not Maynard. <laughs> right, right. Um, so thank you, Peter. Did again. people get pissed at that? Uh, some people. Yeah. And I just, tool people are freaky. I mean, I... Still have people that contact me on, on, um, on um, Messenger. Yeah, yeah. They kind of want to nuzzle close to me because I, I, you know, I walk in Danny Carey's foot dust kind of sure. thing, and um, they're pretty intense. Those guys. Yeah, uh, they, there's some people that were aggravated. Some people got the joke. Um, I just told everybody the same thing. Uh, nobody's more mad than me that he wasn't on the show. Right. Yeah. Okay, that's the... the that's our cue. Yeah, that's Alrighty, our cue. All righty, thank right. you for listening. Thank you, Peter. Spiral Out Podcast is produced by me, your host, Chris West, edited by me, researched by me. Uh, everything is pretty much just done by me. 
Uh, go to our website, spiraloutpod.podbean.com. Follow us on Instagram at spiral underscore out underscore pod. Facebook, Spiral Out Podcast. And again, if you want to see some of the images associated with this episode, click the link in the show notes and it'll take you there. Again, thank you for listening. Spiral Out. Pod dismissed. Wait, that's another show. <laughs>